Welcome back to the Line Podcast. My name is Aaron Alexander. This is a place that we bring together the world's leading experts in all things health and wellness to help you optimize your mind, body, and movement. Today's beautiful episode was with my new friend, Dr. Stephen Cabral. Dr. Cabral is a world leading expert on Ayurvedic medicine, functional medicine, and he is a naturopathic doctor who has spent the last 20 plus years traveling around the world, discovering various different healing modalities that cultures from far off lands have been utilizing for literally thousands of years. This was such a beautiful opportunity to get to dig into a truly brilliant mind to bring us some gifts around natural healing. We get into the mind-body relationship, we get into natural ways to boost your immunity, and we get a bit into his story of healing himself. I know that you guys are going to absolutely devour this conversation. If you do, por favor, share it with your friends, share it with your family. You can leave us reviews on iTunes or wherever you listen to this. And I'm just so grateful to have the opportunity to get to bring such incredible people into one place to share their gifts with y'all. So I appreciate y'all tuning in. Appreciate your time. And uh, here we go. Let's hit it with the good doctor, Stephen Cabral. Is it Cabral? Cabral, yes. Yep. Stephen Cabral. Where's that name from? It is Portuguese from the uh, the Azores, from São Miguel. Oh, have you spent time in Portugal? I have. I've been, spent time um, all around Lisbon as well as in the Azores. That's great, man. So you had a very checkered health history. You started off. Can you discuss a little bit of kind of what got you started in this whole like health? journey. I was very surprised and impressed some of the, the conditions that you were experiencing as a, a young person. Yeah, I think I think checkered is probably a, a mild way of putting that. That's a, that's a good way of stating what was wrong with me. Essentially, my immune system shut down when I was in my senior year of high school. So literally completely shut down where I had swollen glands, every all the lymph nodes, the major lymph node spots around the body under the right, right around the neck, right below your jawline, armpits, groin, literally all over the body behind the knees all swelled up to the size of golf balls. So conventional medicine doctors knew there's obviously something wrong. However, they couldn't pinpoint exactly what it was. So that was two years, 17 and 19 years old, two years of essentially missing lots of school, dealing with lots of health issues and trying to pinpoint what I had. Well, it ended up being Addison's disease, type two diabetes, rheumatoid arthritis, POTS, myalgic encephalomyelitis, and a whole host of other issues. And so once they started just pinning all these things down. They couldn't believe it. But when I started then to say, you know what, all the different drugs and medications that you have me on, I get it. But this is now around the year 2000. I started to venture a little bit more online, read a whole lot more books and realize that there's a whole nother way of looking at this. And that's looking at the underlying root cause. So I started to search that out. And then of course, that led me down the path towards integrative health, functional medicine, naturopathy. So what was the, the root? So when you look at myself, what I was dealing with, it was Addison's disease, which is the inability to produce cortisol. We always look at cortisol as, you know, the bad guy. It's, it's doing something wrong in your body. But cortisol is actually extremely healthy for you. And if you don't produce enough or you produce too little throughout the entire day, you have something called Addison's disease. And my, for me, it was the lack of the cessation of cortisol. So essentially, you never feel like you're going to wake up because cortisol is an inverse and influx ratio in terms of uh, melatonin. So if cortisol is high at night, you're not going to be producing melatonin as it's time to go to bed. So it's difficult to unwind. So you can end up with insomnia. At the same time, cortisol begins to peak around six to eight in the morning. And I know you're big on light and getting outside. And if you're not getting that light and you're not getting the cortisol spike, the cortisol rise is called the cortisol awakening response between six and eight. Well, your thyroid's not functioning properly. You're not going to be producing the dopamine that you should. And your melatonin doesn't know to turn off specifically. So what I had to do was essentially re-regulate my body, of course, involved my immune system. So if you have dysregulation of the adrenals, well, then you have dysregulation of blood sugar. You're going to have dysregulation of what's called TH2 immune dominance. So I ended up with allergies and asthma. And again, mastocytosis, hives, all sorts of issues. So I started to look at what are the true underlying root causes that would lead to such a really decimation of the human body. And, and it was, I was a, a walking zombie, essentially. There was no energy and exercise intolerance. I love to play sports. I love to exercise. But the littlest bit of exercise, I would end up completely inflamed with flu-like symptoms the, the next day. 
And again, that was an inability to use oxygen properly as well as use cortisol and norepinephrine in my body. So what I looked at was, again, what are the true underlying root causes? It's typically CNS dysfunction. So it's the inability to regulate your sympathetic nervous system and your parasympathetic nervous system. Sympathetic nervous system is fight or flight. Parasympathetic is rest, relax, repair, digest. And it's very important that you shift between the two when appropriate. So I had to fix that. I had to re-regulate that. And I also had to re-regulate my gut. Now, there are many other issues, but they're typically downstream. People say, well, you had a lot of inflammation, so that's a root cause. But inflammation is not a root cause of anything. Inflammation is a symptom that a deeper imbalance is there. And for me, it was candida overgrowth. It was H. pylori, and it was SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. So I went about rebalancing those sealing back up my gut that helped tremendously with allergies and asthma. And again, I have this thing where we call it emptying the rain barrel. As you begin to subtract, remove a lot of these imbalances within your body, then your body can begin to heal itself. Do you feel like there was much of a, a, a psycho-emotional underpinning of that? Or do you think it was purely environmental? Like what's the whole chicken or the egg story I think is always interesting. Do you have any sense of, of any kind of psycho-emotional relationships to the origins of all of that? hundred percent. And I mean, I can admit it now, but I think and I have something I call the de-stress protocol. So when I look at helping people, it's diet, exercise, stress reduction, toxin removal, rest, which has to do with sleep, emotional balance, scientifically proven supplements to repair nutrient deficiencies. And then there's also success mindset. So if we look at that, it's stress, emotions, as well as success mindset. And I believe that it's, it's when you're really sick, you got that way from psychology affecting your physiology. Now, not just that, your physiology as well. And to get well, you also need to work with the mind body as well. So if I look at it, it was my senior year of high school. I was trying to get good grades. I was relationships, trying to do well at sports, trying to get into college, take my SATs, like all of these different things. A lot of stress there. I worked a job to start to pay for college there was a lot of stress. There's, there's no doubt about it. Now, stress can be the tipping point for many people, but I do believe that there's then, it just exacerbates the issue. So I call it, there's a genetic predisposition. So I got Addison's type 2 diabetes, rheumatoid arthritis, because that's what runs in my family. Someone else might get Hashimoto's or MS or lupus or you name it. So the genetics matter, but only to a certain extent, because I'll just you know cut right to the chase and say, I don't have any Addison's disease or rheumatoid arthritis or type 2 diabetes. I don't have anything wrong anymore. It's 20 plus years later. I feel better than ever, ever. And I run my labs each and every year to make sure that I am still doing great. So genetics matter, but then you begin to fill up the rain barrel with it's, you know, EMFs and plastics and toxins from the environment and stress and poor foods and anything that can begin to do damage to your body and deplete your natural reserves. And then there's typically a triggering event. And for most people, the triggering event is actually the psycho-emotional that you just spoke about. So for me, it was just like the unknown. Going off to college, I need to do well, I need to prepare. And that just, for me, wore me down more than my body could then repair. Why do you think you were so susceptible to that stress leading to a breakdown instead of you know, having like a growth mindset and being able to grow into that. What's the difference between a person in that scenario where it turns into breakdown and someone that's able to lean into it? So now I can lean into it. I, I mean, I have more stress in my life now than I've ever had before, but I have a mindset now of looking at challenges as growth. As I've never done this before, I've never experienced this before. That's exciting because I know that my biggest opportunities in life, my biggest ability to spread my message, my biggest ability to be able to help people is through encountering things I've never encountered before. And I can look back on my life and said, you know what, you didn't know how to get through that, 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 or that, and yet you did it, and here you are today. So some of it is just experience. You know, 17 years old, you just don't have the experience. But the other is I didn't grow up that way. I mean, I grew up with a mindset of scarcity. I grew up a mindset that everybody was sick. I mean, my parents had rheumatoid arthritis. All my grandparents, all four had rheumatoid arthritis. One of them had Alzheimer's. So it's like I lived in a place where this was normal to be sick. And so it allowed me then to be sick as well, because this is just normal. People get sick. And one of the reasons why uh, I, you know, again, it filled up that rain barrel, got sick is because I was taking 3000 capsules of amoxicillin by the time I was 17, Whoa. because I got acne when I was a teenager. And at 14 years old, I was put on amoxicillin twice a day. And then growing up, every time I had a sinus infection, what do you do? Well, you get amoxicillin or azithromycin or a Z-pack, whatever it might be. And so Again, I feel for people. I see people in my practice all the time. And 
you don't know what you don't know. So all of a sudden at 21 years old, 22 years old, I start researching the mind. And I begin to realize that at least half of the equation is getting your mind right in the right place. Now, I believe it's more than half, but I'll tell you that you can do a lot of work with the mind, but it's still difficult to overcome a lot of the infections or the mold toxicity or the candida, SIBO, et cetera, without a help on the physiological side as well. It seems like you almost, a person could need permission to be healthy in a way. If you come from a construct where that's inappropriate. <laughs> I, can, I, can t- I, no, I can tell that you've done a lot of work in this area for sure with your clients and many people and all the reading that you've done uh, because hundred percent true. And, and people get upset at this. So I feel like it's okay that we talk about it on this podcast, but I tell people all the time, I was a victim of my diseases. Mm-hmm. I was someone that associated with having an autoimmune disease at a very young age. And the problem was it took me a long time to get well. Now it took me a long time to get well because there wasn't the sharing of ideas like there are is now. This was in the late nineties. So I grew up in Medford, Massachusetts. I didn't have a computer. I didn't have a computer all through college. We had a computer lab and I went to the computer lab and use it there, but I didn't come from that type of means to be able to have, you know, that. And plus the internet wasn't really around until let's say the early 2000s where people were using it all the time. But regardless of that, everyone in my family had a disease and it was just kind of what we did. We talked about our ailments. So now I tell people the first step to healing, like, please don't, you don't have to come and run an at-home functional medicine lab or do one of these protocols we help people with until you realize that you are not your disease. Mm. You are you, whatever your name is. Like Aaron is Aaron, you know, Steve is Steve. Like they, we are us. We are not our disease. Now we can get an imbalance within our body, but the only way that we are able to heal is if we disassociate from that and believe that we can get back to who we were or to a new version of us that has not yet existed. Yeah, there's like, are you familiar with Joe Campbell, Joseph Campbell? Yeah, 100%. He's got a, a quote. I, I did like this long motorcycle trip when I was like 22 or something and went through Mexico and Central America. And on the front of the, the journal, I had this quote from Joe Campbell. Is like paraphrased along the lines of the reason that you travel is to be able to come back home and, and truly know it for the first time. That's not exactly what it says, but something along those lines. And it's such an interesting thing when you see people, ultimately we, we crave community because, you know, community translates to survival. And when you hang out with any group, just like look around, people kind of start to look like each other. They start to dress the same, their postural patterns start to mimic each other. And that's all survival stuff. It's to feel safe. It's to feel protected. It's to feel a part of something bigger than yourself. And it's such an interesting realization to be able to step out of the confines of your origin story and be able to look in. And it's just such a powerful thing. And did you, did you have a, a moment of, of stepping out your, your Joseph Campbell hero's journey and being able to look back at where you came from? Or was there any distinct rite of passage for you or something like that? Or was it more just a gradual well, evolution? There, there was, I mean, it was gradual for sure, but the, no, there, there was some. Um, so essentially I spent the first two years to three years living by what conventional medicine thought that I should do. And it's because I I didn't know anything else. So I didn't know that you could do functional medicine labs to run your own cortisol levels throughout the day, your testosterone, DHEA, your thyroid. Like I didn't know any of this existed. So of course, like how would I even know about that? No doctor that I know was running gut testing in the late nineties for looking for SIBO and for all of these things. They didn't believe in leaky gut and tesla permeability in the late nineties. It was there, you know, there was already PubMed studies on it, but it was certainly not accepted in, in for another decade or so, you know, but the, all of these things existed, right. And they existed. It just wasn't accepted. But then I started to look at Again, some of it by chance, just basically people making recommendations. Check out this practitioner here, this person there, and they introduced me to a whole new world. But I was skeptical because for my entire, like, let's say 20 years, all I knew was you go to your medical doctor, they find out what's wrong with you through blood work, and they prescribe a pharmaceutical, and then you get get better. And then I'm realizing now, well, this is just masking the symptoms, and they can't test for everything with this blood work. And so it really led me down another whole path, and I read thousands of books because Part of it is I'm a skeptic and the other part is that I love to learn. And, I, and I'm just, I look at books very differently than other people. You know, you've written a great book and I say, well, all these people, they have all this experience in a field and they usually write it after like 20 years of experience. And now I don't have to live that 20 years and I get to learn their best stuff in 300 pages. Like, you know, and this seems too good to be true. And, and people don't really see it that way. It's like, 
you're basically, you don't make money from books. You just, you feel like you have to share this message with people. You kind of give it away. And, and so that's what I did. And that's eventually led me to my mentor, Dr. Pete, who said, basically combined functional medicine, lab testing with genetics, with Ayurvedic medicine. And I just followed in her footsteps. I said, this is amazing that you combine all of this together. I'm going to do what you did. I'm going to go back and get my doctorate in naturopathy and I'm going to study around the world. And so that was my Joseph Campbell moment is mm-hmm. when I was younger, I didn't realize it till much later is I wanted to be an archeologist. I love adventure. I love kind of rediscovering, I guess. And with Ayurvedic medicine, it wasn't just Ayurveda. I studied uh, traditional Chinese medicine at TCM hospitals in China, actually in, in Beijing. I studied in Sri Lanka and in India multiple times in Europe. And I actually studied various forms of medicine as my internships. But what I wanted to do, again, with a skeptic's mind is say, whatever works is what I'm going to use in my practice. And little did I realize that all of them worked. You just needed to know when to apply them with whom. And so that's what I now do in my practice. So when you were traveling, what were some of the surprises that you experienced when you're, you you spent time in Sri Lanka and China and India and various different places. Was there anything like paradigm, major paradigm shifts being in those cultures compared to where you grew up? Well, there was two. So one on a personal level is I went over there with a bag on my back and a few books and that was it. And I lived in some, and again, I, I, I grew up in a normal family, just a regular middle-class family went to college, paid my way through college, bought my own books, all that type of stuff worked. And so like, I wasn't, I wasn't like living in luxury and like that. However, when I was at a few, now some of the clinics I lived at and stayed at were beautiful, beautiful. Some were really harsh conditions. And I lived in those conditions, meaning like a mattress on the floor at one of the clinics I stayed at in Kerala in India. And I was working as an intern there and I was getting to stay there essentially. And I got three staff meals. And I ate as if you were living in a poor section, sleeping on a mattress and all I had in my bag. So it was really hard. And again, like the the really tough part for an American is they had a bathroom. The shower just rained on everything. And you actually wasn't a shower, it was a hose. And you had to fill up a bucket because you only got so much water. So you filled up the bucket and there was a smaller bucket. You soaked yourself up and poured the water on to wash yourself off. And the first day I was there, I'm like, I don't know that I can do this. And then after 48 hours, you just get used to it. You just adapt as long as you allow yourself. So I realized I was able to adapt to any environment. And that made me extremely strong from a mindset, meaning like I didn't really need too much. I was eating the same foods three times a day, some rice, some chapatis, some you know soy, all these things, and, and working. And it's what I love. Now, from the other side of it, from a medical side, I learned that the best way to get well is actually through a subtractive process. So I came over with the mindset that we need to add more. Oh, you need more B12. You need more, more CoQ10. You need more of this. You need more of that. And I realized that all those things can be great. They're more like icing on the cake. But typically, you need to remove first before adding more does, does more for your health. Yeah. I feel like we almost get like, a, like an insulin resistance to experience and resources and comfort and luxury and affluence. And it, we become unhealthy globally, you know, globally is in like our whole body, we become unhealthy cells that we, we demand so much energy, we become incredibly inefficient if we're always surrounded by luxury. And so there's something incredibly valuable for, it's like wealth skips a generation. If you grow up with all of that abundance, it can be hard to learn those invaluable lessons. The whole mind-body relationship, I think, is just so endlessly fascinating. Those experiences that you go through during that, I think that's informing your mind and your emotions and your identity structure. And then that reflects back at a, a mitochondrial cellular, it's, it reflects in the cells. Does that sound crazy? No, no I, I agree with it. And, but it's, it's a hermetic stressor. Right. And you're, you're big on, I, I know that you know about sauna and talk about sauna and talk about cold therapy. Well, what are those like in and of themselves? They're just one more modality, but what are they doing? Well, they're essentially callousing your body. They're saying, Oh, if you can handle this 58 degree water, like I, I, I spend my, I spend a lot of time in Maine and the water is freezing in Maine. So it's, I mean, it's cold in the summertime. It might get to the low sixties to mid sixties, maybe. 
And, uh, and especially when the air is, you know, 88 degrees in the summer, it's a big change. And then, you know, even spring, again, it's like low 50s. But you, in time, can adapt to that cold through your nervous system, one, being able to respond better to it. And the second is you learn to relax. And that's, that's very, very helpful. And then same with the heat. When I had Addison's disease, you can't tell someone with POTS or Addison's disease to do a sauna for 40 minutes. You're going to wipe them out. They don't have the electrolytes in the first place. But there's in the second, uh, the second place, they're not adapted to that in terms of their nervous system. It would just completely overwhelm them with that type of heat. So what do you do? Well, it's still beneficial, but it's beneficial at one minute and then eventually two minutes and then eventually three minutes. And so that's what I started to look at. The way that I was able to overcome a lot of this, rebuild my central nervous system is not the adrenals necessarily. It's the HPA axis, the hypothalamus telling your pituitary gland, telling your adrenals how to respond. And they need to know they're in a safe place. And so you gradually increase stress. And when it becomes too much, well, inflammation and flu-like symptoms are part of that guide. And then what do you do? Well, you pull back just a little bit. Yeah. And then you're able to push it a little bit more. So, no, I mean, all of this makes sense. It's a gradual calcium of the body until you get to a point where your body is honestly, it's, it's rugged. It's like, you know, you've been living outside for a year, you know, in the elements. And you can handle some rough times. But you have to be careful because, again, too many luxuries, as you said, makes for a very weak system, immune system as well. That's why I'm worried right now. Of course, you don't necessarily want to put yourself in harm's way, but if you never allow that immune system to adapt, it, it could spell disaster in the future. I think it's kind of like riding a motorcycle. If you don't ride a motorcycle or a bicycle or do anything dangerous, then you never actually learn how to be in the way of danger. You know, you, you need that slow, subtle, safe to the point of like not dying or destroying yourself, exposure therapy. And when you think of callousing, I think it's metaphorically, we'd hear the idea of callousing and think it's like, oh, I'm hardened in a way that I'm disconnected. But callousing is actually a place of greater circulation and, and complexity. You know, so like a calloused hand is, a, is a, a healthier, more intelligent hand. How does a person start to integrate some of that into their life without going too far? It's, I mean, with anything, it's, it's, that, it's that balance of, of respectfully finding your boundaries and nudging against them with regularity, but not blowing through them, you know, and not being lazy and not even, even touching them. I feel like a person, if you can respectfully find your own boundaries and just nudge, the person that does that the most is probably going to be the strongest, fastest, smartest, you know, most successful person. You have to look at it from that marathon standpoint. And I'm not a, you know, I'm not a big advocate of running marathons, but the analogy is that we have to look at this as you're going to, in an ideal world, you're going to take five steps forward and one step back. Like it's, it's going to be more than just two steps forward, one step back, but you're going to have some steps back. And that's, that's how it works because let's, let's look at it this way. Again, that going back to the de-stress protocol, you have diet, exercise, stress reduction, toxin removal. So it's the 77,000 plus man-made environmental chemicals, 50% of what we know cause carcinogens. Then we have the rest, we have the emotions, we have the nutrition, the supplements, and then we have the success mindset. Well, let's say one night, or let's not just say one night, you can handle one night of no sleep, no big deal. That shows metabolic flexibility. If you can handle it, like I used to not be able to handle one night of missed sleep. That, I mean, again, I, it would really set my body off, but now I can do an overnight flight. I can do whatever. And it's, it's okay, but you have to get to that point. But what I'm saying is, let's say you've now had three days of less sleep. Okay. Suboptimal nutrition. Cause maybe you're away from home. You have to be careful with maybe how hard you're pushing your workouts, because what you're doing is you're a little off balance on this side. So do you really want to go for a personal best here? Well, it depends. It depends on how calloused your body is, how used to it is it through fasting or through not enough sleep or through whatever it might be? And you'll be able to see that over time if you're tracking your biometrics like resting heart rate and heart rate variability and your deep sleep and your REM and all those different types of things. It'll, it'll let you know. But what I would say is this is pick one modality that you want to get better at. So for most, the most part, people need to really get their nutrition on point, get their sleep on point. And if they do that, okay, now let's talk about their workouts. How hard do you want to push your body? If you're looking to train for something, then great. Now you have an end goal. What can we do in order to be able to push that a little bit more every week? And your body will tell you like, oh, wow, that was a big workout. Well, now how many days do you need to recover from that workout? That's another thing that will show you how much metabolic damage was done during the workout. 
If it just takes you a day to recover, not too bad. Okay, it was something new, took 24 hours, 36 hours, and you're back at it again. So we have something called the graduated exercise protocol that helps people who are really depleted. Like, I mean, that's what I specialize in is more of chronic disease. So it'd be like taking someone with myalgic encephalitis, that flu-like symptoms or exercise intolerance and saying, okay, we're going to work you up first to 10,000 steps. That's it. Okay. Because it requires very little neurological. I just want to take a step back. Most people think that doing a hard workout, like, like 15 reps, 20 reps, all these things and feeling exhausted is a hard thing. No, it's all about your nervous system. If it is neurologically stressful, that is much more draining in the long run than kind of going for a max or whatever might be at a higher rep. It's actually exhausting the nervous system. So we go from essentially working up, modulating, walking, then a little less neurologically, a little bit more neurologically active, which is some cardio. And then we get in some body weight training. And then we'll eventually maybe get to some of that high intensity interval training, stuff like that, if they choose to. So that's how we, we move people up and their bodies tell us when they're ready to move. I want to take a brief moment and thank Element for supporting this podcast and vastly improving my experience around hydration for the last year. So what the heck is Element? It is a perfect blend, perfect combination of the minerals that you need to actually be able to assimilate water. So it's sodium, potassium, magnesium, and then also some delicious natural flavors. My favorite flavor personally is the cacao salt. Also, I know that uh, Max Lugavere guest of the podcast in the past. His favorite is the mango chili. Uh, they're all very good. And you drop them into your water, taste delicious, makes you want to drink water throughout the day. And it also makes it so that your water is more available for your cells to be able to soak up. So when we're drinking distilled water or filtered water, it's very important that we put minerals back into that water so it doesn't pull minerals from us. And Element has sorted that out for us. And the most exciting part is you can try it absolutely free by going to drinklmnt.com slash align. That's drinklmnt.com slash align. And you can try a free sampler pack. You just pay five bucks for shipping and they'll send you out a whole sampler pack. You can check out all the flavors, see if you dig it. If you do and you do end up getting it, then they have a 100% money back guarantee warranty. So if you are not 100% totally happy, you don't notice an improvement in your energy levels and you know, whatever you're looking for it from it, then send it back. You get your money back. So you have absolutely nothing to lose. Tastes delicious. And I'm uh, really very confident you guys are going to enjoy it. So get yourself a free sampler pack by going to drinklmnt.com slash alive. I'd also like to thank BioOptimizers for supporting this podcast. BioOptimizers has become my go-to company on all things probiotics and gut health. The reason that I really appreciate their products is I actually feel a difference upon taking them. So after I take Cogna Biotics, for example, which is a blend of various different nootropic herbs along with probiotics and prebiotics to both heal your gut and also stimulate your mind. Mind and the gut, as you already know, are interconnected and uh, Cogna Biotics is a perfect blend to start to engage those systems. So what I like about it is when I take them, I actually feel more clear, I feel more energetic, it's helpful with things like brain fog, it's helpful with you waking up in the morning and feeling kind of a little bit clunky. I really enjoy this stuff and you can get yourself a discount by going to cognibiotics.com slash align. That's C-O-G-N-I-B-I-O-T-I-C-S dot com slash align. If you do not absolutely love the product, if it does not make an immediate difference in your brain health, in your cognitive well-being, in your energy levels, and any of the things that you expect to get from the product, they have a 100% satisfaction money-back guarantee. So if you don't love the stuff, get your money back, no big deal. So you have absolutely nothing to lose, everything to gain, and you also get a 10% discount by going to cognabiotics.com slash life. So a person is maybe chronically, neurologically stressed, drained, burnt out, any of those words. How does a person get back on track into healing, replenishment, rest, digest? Like what's, what's the process of, of, of regaining energy? So you first have to figure out why they got there. If you can't ask why, then you're never going to have your long-term answer. So you can push through your workouts. You can try to give yourself more good nutrition. But if you don't know why you got there, 
uh, going to be really, really challenging. So we always recommend functional medicine at-home lab testing. Test your gut, test your omega-3 levels, test your hormones, look at your food sensitivities, look at uh, minerals, vitamins, all of the, all the different things that make up your body. And what you want to try to uncover is what exactly the imbalance is. Okay, you have low testosterone. Well, why do you have low testosterone? Because low testosterone can lead to more inflammation, lower mood, irritability, exercise intolerance, et cetera. Well, okay, you might be lacking in zinc. You might be lacking in vitamin C. You might be high stress. You might have a dysfunctional diurnal rhythm, which means lower cortisol in the morning, low, like not low Addison's disease, but just suboptimal. But you have high cortisol at night, okay? So now you're not producing as much melatonin at the right time, which means you're not producing as much serotonin, which means what? Well, which means you're not getting a great night's sleep. And so we start to look at that and we say, okay, is there gut dysfunction? Now we say, okay, you're taking in the right foods, but you're not properly breaking them down and absorbing them through lack of stomach acid, lack of enzymes, intestinal permeability, candida overgrowth, SIBO, parasites, H. pylori. So we want to figure that out first, because if not, you're basically in a rowboat with holes in it, and you're bailing out every single day. And you can actually do a great job of that for a long period of time, but you're never going to be you're at your best. You're just never going to be at your best. We take people that are you know, elite athletes. We've worked with elite CrossFit athletes in the games. I've worked with world champions, Olympians, you name it. I mean, people on scholarship at Harvard University right down the street from me. And we took wherever they're at now, we plugged those holes, and now they're setting their personal bets. And the reason is that we're just making them better at who they already are. They're putting in the work. We're just figuring out where the deficiencies are and then what their toxicities are. And we're removing the toxicities and helping to replace those deficiencies. What about for a person that doesn't have the money to test? Because I feel like there's, there's such an abundance of low-hanging fruit that exists. And just like a, probably a pretty simple questionnaire could get someone really far. What about for that person? It's like, I just want to sort this out right now. Is there anything that we can address right now? Absolutely. And that, that's my goal. And so that's what we do is we do, you know, a daily free podcast. We do free assessments on my site. We do all of these things, just like you just spoke about. Hey, do you have these symptoms of what could be candida overgrowth or SIBO? Because if you do, and you don't want to run the lab, okay, then do the protocols to remove that overgrowth. All right. Do you have hives and food sensitivities? Okay, you can't run the food sensitivity test? We get it. Here are the top seven common food sensitivities that we've seen from over 10,000 labs. I mean, we've worked with over a quarter million people, tens of thousands of labs, and our job now is to be able to provide people with that data so that if they can't run the lab, they can at least get the benefits from moving through those. And then in terms of nutritional supplements, again, like I know just for myself from being so depleted, a lot of single nutrients, again, they're fine. There's nothing wrong with them. But most people don't need the nicotinamide riboside, the resveratrol, the CoQ10, just the B12. They actually need all of the nutrients at a lower dosage because they're going to get the majority of their nutrition from whole food. And they just want to fill in the gaps. And so for most people, a good daily activated multi or some omega-3s, out of all the people I've tested for omega-3s, four people got their proper ratio of three to one from omega-6s to omega-3s. And a lot of people wanted two to one from whole food. So unless you're really eating a lot of oily fish and it's wild caught, so the wild caught salmon, the trout, the sardines, the mackerel that are lower in mercury, you're not going to optimize those omega-3. So it's like simple things that you can do that don't cost a lot that will give you the most bang for your buck. What about algaes and such and the, and the things that those little critters are eating in order to create the, the various omegas. Is that, is that a thing? Ever since Seaspiracy, I feel like anytime I post something on the internet about fish, I get like hordes of people saying I'm an evil person. I know, I know. And it's going to, yeah, and that will last for a while. And then the next, like, that's just the waves that we go through. Everything's a bias. It's like, it's like watching CNN or Fox or Seaspiracy or Cowspiracy or Kiss the Ground or whatever. Like yes. everything, no matter how altruistic it seems, it's telling a story. And it's the same thing with like scientific research. You know, we spout out various different studies. No, but the, what was it? The, what was the journal? The New England, the, the Lancet. It was the, you probably heard this. It's like over 50% of scientific research. It's like, it's not credible, you know, and it's, and there's a bias and you're going yes. and you're trying to prove a point. And what's the point? millions of studies that they just threw away because it didn't prove their hypothesis. That's right. And so you and always have an to. Yeah. I mean, you're getting funding, you're getting a grant from some company. It's not coming from like out of nowhere. Yeah. You know, they're, they're funding you to, to show something and that's paying for your research. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. There's like, 
we have to be careful. Everything has an agenda, but there are also fundamentals, meaning like these yeah. things can be tested. They can be really be tested. So I'm a fan of algae. There's no doubt about it. I think that I'm mainly plant-based uh, without a doubt, but I've been completely vegan for many times in my life and it does not work for my body. And I know how to eat vegan. I've studied Ayurvedic medicine inside and out, but Ayurveda is not about veganism. It's about the right nutrition for your body type. And since my body type is more of that ectomorph vata, I become really emaciated on it, no matter how many calories I'm getting, because it's not a very anabolic diet. So, but also the reason why I said this is your chia seeds and your flax seeds, you're getting a maximum conversion from ALA to EPA of about 14%. And it can be as low as six. And so when we're looking at plant-based omega-3s, you're not getting that transition that as much. Now, the goal is then not to eat as many omega-6s. But the problem is people are getting a lot of omega-6s on a on a more of a plant-based diet. So what I do is I just stay unbiased. I say, like, what are we really looking at here? What are we really talking about? And I t- again, I test people on vegan diets and, and people that are doing great on them. And I did it myself because I'm always experimenting. I was about a six and a half to one. So it's not bad. I mean, the average American is an 18 to one for omega-6s, which are inflammatory to omega-3s, which are less inflammatory. And then I just started supplementing with a minor amount of omega-3s, added a little bit more sardines to my diet, got it down to a 2.9 to one. And so, you know, that's what I just try to help people with is just saying, this doesn't have to be super complicated. You can do it in a sustainable way if you choose to. And a lot of the LGs that we're talking about as well, they're chelators of the sea. And so you have to be careful that you're not getting a lot of heavy metals along with those as well, because they're cleaning the sea. They're literally cleaning the ocean. And um, I use a lot of the LGs more for antioxidants, believe it or not, like astaxanthin than I would do for omega-3s. They're actually much more potent in that regard. Hmm. What do you think of regenerative farming? Have you seen the Kiss the Ground documentary? I haven't seen the Kiss the Ground, but I know about regenerative farming. And um, I, I think it's fantastic. I mean, I really do. I'm, a, I'm an advocate. I'm a fan. I'm an ag- expert at it. No. So there are things that I probably don't know uh, that people would point out. But I believe that we need more small farmers. We need more people that are taking back actually the land itself So that we just don't become a monocrop based culture, which is disastrous for, well, disastrous for the planet and disastrous for the economy as well. When one person controls all the food. I think moralistically, it's easy for people to lean into the the plant-based perspective as though they're like the heroes of the world and just see it on the face of like, cool, apple, soybean, like this feels like winning, but we're not looking deep enough into the history of what does it mean to till large swaths of, sto- of soil and that, you know, all the different, whatever fertilizers or whatever it may be. And then that topsoil drifting into the, the local rivers. And then that it's like death is a part of life, you know, for you to consume, it's this trans retransmission of energy. And so I like the idea of really thinking of like, how do we come back and, and look at the root, like you're saying before. And, you know, one of the roots would be addressing the soil of, you know, the planet of your country, of your community. And I feel like that has long-term health implications, not just of, you know, things being prettier, but also like our own biological health. Does that make sense? Without a doubt. And I think that, and again, when I talk about even being more plant-based, I'm not talking about, you know, eating more almonds or corn or whatever it might be, which a lot of people that are plant-based, they just lean more towards these uh, over-cultivated grains and they're not getting the nutrition that their body deserves. I don't really have a problem with a lot of more of the gluten-free grains because I know there's a lot of research behind oats and there's a lot of research behind maybe some quinoa or other types of things. But it's not what we want to rely on. We, I mean, really, the only natural anti-cancer-based diet that we know of right now, maybe there'll be a new one in the future, are brightly colored fruits and vegetables. And so if you're eating berries, you can get your blues and your bright reds and your purples and all these great things. And then we can also get a lot of our veggies and we can get the rest of our colors, reds, yellows, and greens. And so when we get those, we're getting a wide variety of produce. Again, hopefully it's organically grown. If not, if you can't do organic, then at least stay away from the dirty dozen. I think that really is important. I'd rather people not eat them than eat conventional because they're getting all the pesticides that can't be washed off. But at the same time, if you go to local farmers markets and you invest in your community, or at least, you know, with like in that hour range, they'll probably come to you that you can figure out what they're doing. Are they using three farm systems? Are they using, I mean, sorry, three field systems? Are they allowing the soil to regenerate? Because even organic food lacks about 40%. They found like anywhere from like 
28 to 40% less nutrition, meaning the micronutrients. It's this, I mean, people always go, organic doesn't matter because it's the same carbs, fats, and protein. Okay. Yeah. It's the same food, meaning like the macronutrients are the same, but the micronutrients are radically different. Look at the micros or the omegas between a uh, farm salmon and wild salmon. I mean, it's, it's night and day. You're getting more omega-6s. You can say more total omegas. It's a good way to market it. But you're getting much more inflammation from the salmon than you are from the wild-caught salmon, which is, again, more of the anti-inflammatory. So, yeah, I'm a big believer in only eating what your body needs, not over-consuming, diversifying your diet, which helps your microbiome. And that allows for the, again, the proper, you have your own garden, you have your own farm system in that hundred trillion bacteria in your gut. Yeah. And then is there a broader conversation around fruits and vegetables outside of just like the, the dirty, dirty dozen or the, the, is dirty dozen fruits and vegetables or just fruits? Is it both? It's both. It's probably yeah. dirty dozen. Okay. Anyways. So the ones that there's going to have greater amounts of pesticides and it's going to be on the skin and you're going to consume the whole thing and all that. What about the conversation around like, lectins and is it phytates and the various different defense compounds that plants have because they can't run away from us you know and that's the kind of like the, the like the carnivore story and so there's pressure cooking and there's fermenting and you know just eating if you look if you walk around the woods there's not a lot of plant life to eat you can consume most of the animals so what about that conversation if more specifically if we just say vegetable i don't feel like that's that's probably like a full story that's right. And it's also, we have to look at modern day versus, let's say, a million years ago, right? So, I mean, if we're going back millions of years, we didn't live in homes. We had to live in, before we lived in warmer clients where more vegetation is going to grow. There's going to be more produce. There wasn't overconsumption of all these foods. There was also living in harmony with nature. So kind of our modern days, uh, a lot stranger because, you know, if I were to go in the woods right now in Maine, you're starving to death. Because you're not catching any animals, not with your hands, and you're not really eating any food. So that's it. Like you're done. So we live in a very strange time. And I'm again, I'm a big, I'm a, I'm a believer in eating some animal protein, some healthy fats, and mainly monounsaturated. Which I always look at hedging bets. So it's like you can find research on both sides of the aisle, but it's like okay, but where can you hedge that's like this is safe? Like we know this is safe, and so we kind of look at that. And even this is safe is all, um, it's arguable because people can have underlying issues. So meaning like lectins are really only a big issue if you're choosing a lot of unripened food, which people do, right? Because uh, if you're getting something in your grocery food store, it could have been picked, you know, much longer ago, you're getting more lectins in that. But for the most part, lectins are quite disturbing for people with gut associated issues. And when you have that, well, you're going to create a whole lot more irritation in your gut. Same with phytic acid. I mean, phytic acid has been shown to be protective against colon cancer. So it's like, well, which side do you believe? Well, I think the truth is that, again, we were mainly meant to be hunters and gatherers. When we hunted, we shared whatever we got with the entire tribe. So we got a little bit. Sometimes we got a whole lot. And then sometimes we had absolutely nothing. So people would go days or potentially weeks without meat. And then they might have a lot of meat. And then they might have a little bit for a couple of days. And so they subsisted, subsisted on what they could gather, essentially. And that might be root vegetables, because those would last, fruits like apples. And, and again, we can look at it seasonally. So the other thing I'll say is this, is that we don't need to live like people struggled even 20,000 years ago. We can live a little better than that. So I, that's why I really have no issue with people being able to eat some out-of-season berries uh, during January, you know, in no. Boston, because nothing grows. So well, you'll be what okay. do you what do you think of the story? I'm not, I don't have a bias either way, by the way. I love talking to, you know, if someone seems seemingly healthy and, you know, joyous, I'm like, cool, what are you doing? But what do you think of the theory or idea of the large jump? I think it was like 2X or 3X, the brain jumped in size. I think it was, all these numbers are like 2 million years ago, but it was around the same introduction of tools and fire and the potential to consume animal fats and meat and, and things of the sort. Do you think that that's a bunch of, of hooey? Cause again, the carnivore conversation is that the figs and the berries and the, you know, the flora stuff would be secondary, but ideally you want to bring a woolly mammoth back to the tribe or a Buffalo or something of the yeah. sort. So, I mean, I can tell you, and I think, I feel like too many people are invested in their dogma. 
So whenever you go one, like radically, just you only eat fallen fruit, right? Or, or way over the other side would be carnivore diet. You, neither one is going to be correct because we can look at, and I did a whole podcast on this, really breaking it down, like from an unbiased perspective, because honestly, all I care about is the truth for myself, my family, people in my practice. And then of course, like sharing this greater message because we don't own any of the food. So it's like, but the carnivore diet, I always keep this model on my desk right here. I don't know if we're going to have this on video or not, but this, this guy right here, he's got 28 feet of a digestive tract, about 20, 21 feet of small intestine, five to six feet of colon. No carnivore has a digestive system like this. And that's because food, heavy amounts of protein is going to ferment in the gut. It's just, it's not, nature did not design us that way. Now, can we eat it? We absolutely can. Now look at our closest primate friends, like the chimpanzee, the orangutan, 99 plus percent essentially human, same digestive tract, same teeth, same uh, fingers, literally. So when you look at that, well, what are they eating in nature? They could eat more meat if they wanted to. Like they can, they're very strong. And what do they eat? Well, they eat about five to 7% of their diet from meat. And again, they could choose to eat more meat whenever they wanted to, because they actually kill other monkeys when they need more meat. And so it's not like, you know, they, they can't do these things. They can. And that's why I just think that people have taken the conversation too far. Like whatever we do in the U.S., we just take it too far. Like yoga was taken like yoga for sports and yoga. Well, it's like, well, what happened to yoga? Like, yes. why? I mean, don't, don't, wasn't yoga good enough? No, it wasn't, not in the West. And so I've seen it happen with everything. I mean, I've been doing this now for 25 years, first in fitness and nutrition, then in functional medicine and naturopathy. And um, I, I think that we need more of a balanced approach. Balance is always the best, but it's not that interesting, right? It's not, it's not as sexy. I think it ultimately comes back to, to the thing that's, that's pretty uncontroversial and undeniable is, is humans run on community and tribe. So if you feel like separate from the tribe, that's you know, the worst thing that can happen to a person, essentially. And I think that a lot of our religious dogmas, nutritional dogmas, and you know these different identities that we we tie ourselves onto, I think at a deeper level level, those are sublimated urges to connect. And if we have that community, we feel healthy. And the vegan movement, I think, is. I would say they're the worst and in, in, in the, the realm of being like aggressive and violent. And it's like, it's like, whoa, I thought you were, it's like, whatever you think, think the opposite. When someone's really peace and love and like, that's the thing on the face, I'm always like, hmm, is there something else behind there? Because in, in that community, the, the, the dogma of vegan, which just because you don't eat animal products doesn't mean you're a vegan. I'm saying vegan like the gang, they will attack if you wrong them. <laughs> And it's like an interesting thing. It's like, oh, okay, this is like tribal community stuff conflated with nutrition is yes. what I've is what I've gathered. I mean, 100%. Like I saw it when CrossFit first started. I saw, and again, because I was in the, the, the fitness-based community, still am. I mean, I, lo I love the industry. And uh, I saw it with, with veganism, saw it with carnivore, saw it with keto. And it's like you align with it. Because you also want to be right. There's, a, there's part of human instinct that you want to be on the side of right or the side of power. And this is what's, it's also trendy, right? And you want to be on the trend. And so you can talk to people about this new thing that you're doing. But again, again, I've been in this long enough to see things come and go. And even when kettlebells became big in like the early 2000s, and again, they've been around for a long, long time with Russian kettlebell training and, and all sorts of stuff. But people were doing their entire workout, you know, just with one kettlebell. And I'm like, well, yeah, kettlebells are amazing, but like, you can't use anything else that only kettlebells. And, and it was weird if you did. And then again, you could never say anything against CrossFit. I'm like, well, a lot of the CrossFit athletes though, are not doing just CrossFit workouts. They're doing other things to supplement those. And we, are we not allowed to say that? And so that's what I feel like it's always been. And it always will be because like you said, people want to be in a community, part of a community, but it is also fun. Like it's camaraderie. It's like you talk about how little you ate except for fat, you know, today. And it's like, well, you know, for the keto-based diet and, and like, I get it, but I always go back to always being self-aware. Like, why are you choosing to do this? Yeah. And if you have a good why, then I support you hundred percent. I don't, I don't have an issue as long as it's not harming other people. Yeah. Cool. We got to wrap this bitch up. I appreciate you making time to, to, to conversate, man. Where do people go if they want to learn more about more about your work, more about your they're feeling brain foggy, if they're feeling like they got gut issues? Like what's who should reach out to you 
And uh, where do they go? Well, we help people with all chronic-based health conditions. So if someone's been dealing with some type of imbalance for, let's say, I mean, technically chronic's over six weeks, but let's say it's six months or more, and people are really looking to figure out what is the root cause of my X, Y, and Z, whatever it might be, joint pain, muscle pain, brain fog, low energy, autoimmune issues, then they can had just, I mean, I always like to give, always try to give some information and context first. So obviously we had a nice conversation here today, kind of moved, talked about a lot of different things. My podcast is called The Cabral Concept. It's a daily show. You can literally just go to stephencabral.com forward slash podcast. You can search any topic that you want. You'll be able to probably find something on it. And then um, all of the labs that I spoke about today and the protocols we offer are at uh, equa.life. That's E-Q-U-I dot L-I-F-E. And then my book is The uh, Rain Barrel Effect. And um, that's on Amazon and all sorts of other book places. I love that. Well, thank you, dude. We're going to jump over to your podcast now. So we'll continue the conversation over that direction. Continue the conversation and keep on recording. And keep on chugging. All right. Thank you all for tuning in. Over now. Hope you guys devoured that conversation. If you did find value in it, and you think other people may also find value in it, you can share it on the Instagram as a likely place. You can tag me at Align Podcast. You can tag, tag Dr. Stephen at Dr. Stephen Cabral. And uh, also, if you are interested in increasing your own flexibility and strength, especially while traveling or even from the comfort of your home, I highly recommend getting yourself a strength kit designed by me. It is four different weight resistance bands along with a door anchor, a hip band, and a traveling case so that you can have essentially a home gym with you in your bag anywhere you go. My favorite exercise that I do with it that I'm about to do actually right now before I go to bed is I strap up one of the orange bands into the door anchor, put it up to the top of the door, and then I wrap that around my hips, and then I go in front of the door and do a little down dog, and it decompresses my low back, opens up my SI and my sacrum and my low back, and it is something that I do literally every single day in the morning and the evening and multiple times throughout the day often as well. Essentially, anytime I'm feeling a little bit stiff or maybe you got a little bit of low back pain or just feels congested in general, I will strap that thing around my hips and go through that specific exercise and I find it to be incredibly valuable. If you want to get yourself a strength kit, you can go to alignpodcast.com slash shop. That's alignpodcast.com slash shop. You can also find those exercises at alignband.com. All right. Thank you guys so much for tuning in and I look forward to talking with you next week.